You are listening to the weekly podcast of Fellowship Bible Church of Paragool. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.fellowshipparagool.com. Go ahead and get started. Since Jared's out of town, we're going to do something a little crazy this morning, and we're going to go to the book of Leviticus. <laughs> I know when y'all think of crazy, you think the book of Leviticus. This is the book, if we're honest, many of us, some of us in here who may have read through our Bibles or tried to read through our Bibles, this may have been as far as you got, right? You started off with a lot of zeal, and you're in Genesis, you're in all these stories, you're in Exodus, you're seeing Moses part the waters through the power of God, and then you get to the book of Leviticus, and you're like, I don't know what to do with all this. I don't know what to do with this. But what I hope you see this morning, that in this book pages are not wasted in the Word of God. And actually, you're going to see that we just don't even have the time to scratch the surface on the beauties of the glory of God and what that means for you in your everyday life and who you are this morning. There's good news we're going to see this morning. I'm just going to go ahead and give you a spoiler so you can know the good news that's coming is that through the work of Jesus, the work of Jesus... Your sins can be covered and cleansed so that you can live with God and for God. And there's nothing greater than that in the world. So Leviticus chapter 16, we'll bring it up here on the screen or if you have it on your Bible that you brought with you or you have a device and maybe you came this morning and you didn't have a Bible, we want you to know that as you leave that we have Bibles out here on the table. These are, they're either black or, or a navy blue ESV Bible. That you, are, you can take that. We want you to have it. That is our gift to you. Because change ultimately doesn't come through contact with us, but through God and through His Word. And so we want you to have that as a gift. Well, Leviticus 16, we're going to look at this whole chapter this morning, but not read it all. But we're just going to begin by reading verses 30 through 34. God's Word says this, For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you, and you shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute forever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priest and for all the people of the assembly." And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year because of all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning that we are not left to bear the guilt and the uncleanness of our sin. We thank you that atonement has been made And we ask you this morning to help us understand what that means, what atonement means, what it means for for our lives today. God, we thank you as we look forward to next week when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. That when he rose, it wasn't just some miraculous feat, but it was showing that everything that was done on Calvary, on the cross, was fully affirmed and fully accepted in the throne room of heaven. So God, today, just give us joy in this good news. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'll never forget the day that, that my first grandfather who died, died. That night, I, I can still remember standing outside the hospital. I can remember the glow of the, the hospital sign against the, the dark night. I can remember the, the sounds. I can remember the smells. I can remember the, the decorative split rail fence out there where I was wiping my tears and my snot. Because this was a defining moment for me. No one that I had loved so much had ever been taken away from me. I'm sure you have days like that in your life too. Those sort of defining moments. I mean, if you were this morning, we won't necessarily do this, but if you were to close your eyes and you were to remember where you were on September 11th, some of you, I bet, could remember exactly where you were, exactly who you were with, and what was going on. For others of you, it may be your wedding. Some, it might be the birth of a child. For others, it may be like me, the death of a loved one. And these days may not be on a calendar. But they're etched on the core of who you are. And what we have to be honest about this morning is that so often, the day of the cross is not a day like that for us. There's no need to pretend. We have to be honest that when we think of Jesus' death... It can become more like just a day on a calendar than a day that is etched on the core of who we are. If I were to ask many of you this morning to come forward and to share your story, the story of how God has changed your life, I'd say there will be some of us, if not many of us, who will give very little time to speaking of the cross. And I don't say that to shame you or guilt you because as you're going to see, this whole sermon is about what Jesus has done for our guilt and for our shame. But what I say that to you for this morning is that God knows that and God loves you and God loves us so much, He's given us the book of Leviticus. He loves you so much, He wants you to see how the day of the death of Jesus is not just something that we say, well, there's Good Friday. So we see the day of the death of Jesus is not just a day that we have an obligation to talk about, but it's a day that we get to live in. It's a day that speaks not to a calendar event, but to the core of who we are. And we must be defined by the day of the death of Jesus. We must be defined by the day of the cross. Well, how can we do that? How can it become more than just something we feel like we have to talk about to something that defines who we are? Maybe you're here this morning and the death of Jesus doesn't define who you are. You may be here this morning and you have not committed your life to Jesus Christ and you don't even know what that means. You think it may mean, well, that means I just need to get myself right. I just need to start attending church. I just need to do better. Well, today you're going to see that there is so much more than a life defined by what you do, but a life that's defined by what Jesus did. Well, how do we get there? We get there by understanding the defining moment that took place every year in the people of Israel, known as the Day of Atonement. This is what Leviticus 16 lays out. And obviously we won't be able to touch on everything in here, so you Leviticus scholars can catch everyone else up later with the details. But we're going to touch on a few things, some important things. The first thing is that this was a day of great anticipation for the people of God. 
great anticipation because there was only one time each year when the high priest would enter into the most holy place, the holy of holies, where the throne of God was and make a sacrifice for the sins of the people. But there was this buildup throughout all the year. And I can remember growing up, and some of you may can relate with this, my mom only did laundry like once a week. And so in our laundry room was a buildup. Right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. This massive buildup. And you sort of looked forward to that day when your clothes were going to be cleaned. And at the same time, there was sort of a dread. Because you knew they had to be clean. And so this anticipation of this overwhelming encounter that was going to have to take place. And yet of this overwhelming joy that would come at the end of it. And so this build up, this sin that had built up all year. And it was very, a very dramatic time because they did not have a low view of God like maybe some of us do. They didn't see God simply as their buddy or their pal, someone they might walk up and give a high five to. No, they understood that for the holy God who created this universe and who had rescued them from their sin for them to dwell with him, this was no small thing. We see this in the beginning of this chapter in verses 1 and 2. It said, The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron when they drew near before the Lord and died. Now, what had happened to Aaron's sons? Well, earlier in chapter 10, Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu, thought, Hey, we'll just kind of come up with how to worship God on our own. You know, I mean, we'll just do whatever we want. I mean, after all, you know, he's just God. Well, God very quickly and very, very clearly to the people of God revealed to them that he was not a God to be tampered with. And they were killed on the spot. This wasn't because God was evil that this happened. It was because he was so good. And that's what we're going to see here. It's the, the threat of the presence of God is to a sinful people is not because God is some sort of mean God off in the universe waiting to strike down anybody who would want to be close to him. No, it's because he is so good and we are so evil that to come into his presence apart from his provision is just simply impossible. And so verse 2 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron your brother not to come in at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So we see all of this language that, that is telling us why is it so important that Aaron be so careful because God is so holy. And within the tabernacle, the place that God, people worship God in that time, the people of Israel, there was the, the, the wideness of the tent, sort of the outer courts. There was the, the holy place. And then there was this most holy place. And this is where the ark was. And you're like, what in the world is he talking about? You saw Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right? Now you're tracking with me. The ark had the Ten Commandments in it and some other stuff, but we'll just leave it there for you. And in the ark, in the most holy place, not only was there the ark, but there also was the mercy seat. The mercy seat was this, this, this beautiful sort of gold-plated uh, box on top of the ark lid over the ark that had these angels' wings over it. And this was, a, this was actually like the throne of God. So at this point in the history of salvation, if God was going to dwell within his people, it was going to be within this 
tabernacle, this tent, and in this most holy place. And God's telling Aaron, if you are going to come into my presence, then you must come a certain way. Well, how, how can people live with God? Well, verses 3 through 14 begin to lay this out, how Aaron must prepare, because even though Aaron is the high priest, he is still a man of sin. He is still a, a fallen human being. And so we go through these verses, and we're not going to read them all, but we see here Aaron has to prepare himself. He has to have the animals ready for the sacrifice. Some animals that will be often as, offered as a burn offering. So there's a bull he's going to offer for himself. And then we're going to see there's going to be these two goats. And these two goats are going to be really important, Okay. Yeah, this sermon is about two goats. And so you're going to leave today knowing two goats. And I promise you, it's going to be good. It's going to be good news. And so he's got to offer this sacrifice for himself. And then he has to get himself cleaned up. Right? So he's got to put on the right clothes. He's got to, to bathe himself in this water. And as you walk down through here, we see in these verses, and you could read them, he has to prepare these animals that will be offered and all of this is because, again, because there is the, the peril of sin as people face the holiness of God. You think of an astronaut, and I don't know anything about astronauts, but at least what I've seen in movies. When the, the lid comes off, what happens? It's just like they disintegrate or dry up. And just get that as, as a picture. If, if Aaron seeks to approach the presence of God, but he does not come in the way that God prescribes, then it's over. I can remember when I was in high school, I actually was able somehow to get this really pretty girl that was actually in the grade above me to go on a date with me. Yeah. And so... I was just amazed, and I thought, everything has to be just right. i got to have myself ready. i got to have my car ready. i got to have the, su the dinner ready, where we're going. But you know what happened? We got to the red light, and the truck broke down, <laughs> and we rode back to our house in a tow truck. And it was ruined. Do you think anything good came out of that? And what we're talking about here is something times a million, a billion, a trillion more. So how in the world can this be pulled off that sinful people can dwell with such a holy and great God? This is where the goats come in. This is where the goats come in. Notice verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness, says of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. So this first goat is to be killed, and it is to be killed so that the sins of the people are covered and the place of God is cleansed so that God's people now can dwell with God again another year. 
So atonement here in this sense, atonement being made one with God again comes through an animal that is killed in the place of the people so that their sins are covered. Then we come to the the second goat and just skip down to verse 20. We'll read about it. It says, and when he had made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat and Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of of the live goat. So I just want you to imagine this. Now this goat's coming, this goat that's not been killed and is not going to be killed in the same fashion. And Aaron takes his hands and he lays it on the head of this goat. And he confesses over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions and all their sins. So just get that in your mind. He takes his hand, places it on this goat, and now he's confessing all the sins of the people, all the idolatry, just any sin... And every sin of the people. And it says, And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. And the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area, and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. This text goes on to say many other things and other great things that are done, were done on that day. But we're just going to talk about this particular thing this morning. And you may be thinking, what the heck? <laughs> what in the world does any of that have to do with me in the year 2015? Why did God give us this word? Some of you, hopefully, the... The fires are already starting to to come in your mind of what is taking place on this day. But what we have to see is what God is pointing to here in this defining day in the year of Israel is pointing us to an understanding of the defining day of the moment of the cross in our lives. Because there is an anticipation, just like there was in Israel every year, an anticipation that is built up within the history of humanity and even in the history of our own lives since the sin and rebellion of Adam in the Garden of Eden, there has been a separation of humanity and God. A separation that could not be breached, that could not be overcome by any good works of man. From the very beginning, we see as Adam's sin revealed their nakedness and shame, they took fig leaves to cover themselves up with. I thought, maybe this will take care of our sin. We'll cover ourselves with these fig leaves. But in God's eyes, he looks down like a father would look at a son or a child. Some of you have had kids, right, who try to deny what they did. And like they're standing with it behind their back. And they think if they take it in their hand, what they've stolen or what they've messed up, and hold it behind their back, you won't see it. Did you take the candy? No. What's behind your back? Nothing. Let me see your hand. And yet that's the way humanity stands before God. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, as your covering and cleansing Lord, that's how people live their lives. They just do it with success at their job. They do it with relationships. They do it with vacations. All of us are looking for a covering 
But we need a covering that's even greater than what Israel had on this yearly basis because Israel still had to do this every year again and again. These sacrifices that were offered were not the end goal. They were pointers to something greater to come. They were like doing the laundry once a week, but you're going to have to do it again next week. And I want you just to imagine that when you, if you walked in this theater this morning and it said on that sign, playing at 12 o'clock, the life of, and put your name. And it said, rated R at best. Right at best. Because it was going to show everything. All your actions, emotions, thoughts, and motives. And there's none of us in here who I think would be showing up for that. But you know who would? Everybody else would, wouldn't they? And that's how so many of us live. We live these lives and we've got that weight on us, that nagging guilt, that holiness. And what do we need? We need a way to take care of that. Some of you are believers, but you've not yet learned how the cross is the answer to that. You've trusted in Jesus, but somewhere along the way, you've not learned how the cross is not just the answer for some decision you made years ago, but how you live in the freedom of the good news yesterday, today, and forever. And there's some of you in here this morning who don't know Jesus, and you need to know, how do I take care of that? And not just live a life of pretend. Well, the answer is, is because everything that we see in Leviticus 16 that was a preliminary and temporary pointer is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. We may think that, oh, we live in a new day. And so, you know, God's just not that God of the Old Testament. You know, that Old Testament God who, when people disobey them, he kills them. Well, first of all, if we believe that, we've not read the New Testament. Because it says things like this in Hebrews twelve twenty nine, and I don't know if I think, Ryan, our God is a consuming fire. You could go to books like the book of Revelation, the end of the Bible, not early in the Bible, the end of the Bible, and we see the Apostle John as he comes in the presence of the risen and glorious Jesus. It says he falls down on his face like a dead man. And if we read how the whole story ends is that one day God, through his Son, is going to return. And he's not going to return with a pat on the back of everyone who said, God, I don't care about you. He's going to return in judgment. Not because he's evil again, but because he is good. Because he doesn't lie. Some of you are familiar with the book, The Chronicles of Narnia, or you've seen the movie like me. And there's one point within these books where one of the children asks about Aslan, the great lion, the great deliverer that's supposed to come. And she says, is he safe? And I think it's the beaver in the movie. Looks at her and says, who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king. 
You know, there's no wonder that we're so bored with God. Because we've just made Him one of us, haven't we? There's no wonder that that when you feel the weight of the guilt and the sin that you have in your life, and someone tells you, well, this is what God says about you, and you're like, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, I know that. It's because you ha- it's, it's, it's not because it's not true. It's because you have such a low view of God. No wonder we're bored. We're bored with worship. We're bored with Scripture. It's because we do not stand in the amazement of a God who we're like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. And He wants me here. And this God in His holiness and greatness, though, is not a God who stood back and said, well, they deserve punishment. They deserve hell. They deserve death. So just give them what we want. No, give them what they want. The good news is that He has prepared a way for us to come into His holy presence so that we might be filled of all the emptiness that we have and all the dirtiness that needs to be cleansed. He sends Jesus to this world As our priest, just as Aaron went for the people into the presence of God, so Jesus comes as our priest to bring us into the presence of God. We see this in Hebrews chapter 2, where these words, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the servants of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And this is where we see Jesus is the fulfillment of goat number one. Do you remember what happened to goat number one? Goat number one was killed in the place of the people so that they might dwell in the presence of God. And this is exactly what Jesus comes to do because He comes not only as the high priest who offers the sacrifice for us, He comes as the sacrifice that is offered for us. Propitiation is a big word. But you you guys know the word carburetor, right? So we can't say I don't do big words, right? You just do the big words that are important to you. This is one that should be important to you. Propitiation simply means a sacrifice that covers your sins. A sacrifice that satisfies the judgment of God in your place. It speaks of this atonement, and again, atonement, this being made at one with God again. It speaks of a ransom paid. If we were to read through all of Leviticus 16, you would see here this word atonement repeated again and again and again. And the word behind this word atonement is the same word for a ransom. And you hear about Jesus ransomed me. All right, you've heard that, and you may remember, what's that talking about? Well, when you go to a movies and you watch a ransom, we all know what happens, right? Some bad guy kidnaps the politician's son and says, give me a million dollars or one billion dollars and you will get your son back. So it's the good guys pay the bad guys the money to get set free. Well, in the Bible, that's not how it is. All right. So we need to know this so we understand what an awesome thing the ransom of God is. In the Bible, the way ransom worked was like this. And it talked about an ox, but I'm going to use a pit bull because I doubt none of y'all have oxes, and I don't know who has pit bulls either. But let's just imagine you had a pit bull. Your pit bull killed your neighbor's wife. Okay? Now, this is the law. This is how the Bible works it out here. All right? If your pit bull had never hurt anybody before and was just sweet little angel 
then the law was, well, your pit bull's got to die still, but you're good. You didn't know. But if your pit bull was known to be aggressive and known to be dangerous, and you just let him wander around the neighborhood to play with the children, <laughs> then if the pit bull killed your neighbor's wife, the law of God was, well, not only the pit bull going to die, you're going to die. <laughs> I don't know if that would be second-degree murder or something, but, but this was the law of God. But there was one way out. The, the Bible says, unless your neighbor sets a ransom price. And what the ransom price was, instead of you dying, you could pay this financial or monetary, whatever it was, penalty and so that would restore the relationship and everything would be good. So when we read in the New Testament about how Jesus was our propitiation, our ransom, atoning sacrifice, this is where it gets good. Is <laughs> now, think about this. We are the ones who have committed treason against God. Our sin is no small thing. Our sin is of this equality, the death of his son. Do you get that? You think, oh, it's just sin. Boys will be boys. To err is human. No, to err, to sin, is treason against your creator king. And the penalty that he pronounced and that was known before you ever sinned is death. He is the offended party who has every right to enforce the required penalty. He would be good and fair and just and right to leave us condemned to death. And because He is eternal God and we have committed eternal treason and eternal death. But God in His grace and mercy, not out of any obligation or any need, placed a ransom price upon us. And He said, there can be a death that will count in the place of you. But it must be spotless. It must be perfect. It must be a human who lives the life Adam never lived, who lives the life Israel never lived. And this is what is amazing, is that God not only set the ransom price, but He's the neighbor, as it were, who then pays the price for us. So imagine, your dog killed your neighbor's wife, and he says it's going to cost you a million dollars or you're dead, and then he gives you the million dollars. But then he dies giving it to you, to earn it for you. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. He's, he is the one who's owed the payment, yet He provides the payment to bring us to Him. I'm reminded of a, a story that I once heard, probably in another sermon, of these Indian tribes that, that lived in, in Russia, but were similar to the tribes that we have here. And these tribes, to be selected as chief of the tribe, you not only had to be the strongest and the bravest, but you had to be the most just, the most fair. And within this particular tribe, there were these thefts that were breaking out and taking place. And so this chief, 
Brave, just, strong says if someone is caught, they will receive ten lashes with the whip. Well, they couldn't figure out who was keeping, who was doing the stealing. So he raised it to 20 lashes. Still couldn't find out. And so then he raised it to 30 lashes. And ultimately, it was to 40 lashes, which was a death sentence for everyone except maybe, maybe the chief. And then one day they found out who it was that was doing the stealing. You know who it was? The chief's mom. Well, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? I mean, he's, he's got to be just, doesn't he? He's got to be right. And at the same time, he loves his mama. This, this weak little lady. Well, he, he knows he's got to do the right thing. And so what does he do? He says she must receive the penalty. But just as the whip was about to come down on her back, he leans his body in over hers and takes every lash in her place, satisfying both his justice and goodness and at the same time his love. And that is but a pale, puny picture of what God has done for you in Jesus at the cross. In Romans 3, 23 through 25, we hear these words. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified, are made right with God by His grace as a gift through the redemption, the redeeming ransom that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice by His blood to be received by faith. We see in these words the good news of the gospel that your sins are covered, that all we like sheep have gone astray, but the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. But before we finish this morning, we got to talk about goat number two. Goat number two. So goat number one, you are covered. Your sins are paid for. But goat number two teaches us your sins are not only covered, but they're cleansed. They're removed. Do you remember what happened to the second goat? The second goat wasn't killed. The second goat, Aaron, placed his hands upon the goat and pronounced all of Israel's sins. And then he had this goat sent away out into the wilderness into an inhabitable land. Any of you in here know the phrase scapegoat? You've heard that before. Yeah, I had to be the scapegoat at work again. You know, that's where this comes from. One of the early translators of the Bible translated this goat as the scapegoat who bears our blame. I want you to think about what this image is showing us. You can do it if you want to physically or just do it in your mind right now is that when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're taking your hand, and maybe right now, you're, you didn't come in here this morning, a person who had placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and you might just want to do this right now in your heart. Place your hand out as if you're laying it on Jesus. And the same thing that took place on that day of atonement is the same place that took takes place on the day of your atonement, the day when the death of Jesus becomes a death that's counted for you. 
And you just might even right now want to speak those sins. You may be already be a believer in here this morning. And you just need to count that this is good for you today too. It wasn't just good for your past. It's good for today and it'll be good for tomorrow. And you just need to see the transfer of that taking place onto him. Transfer the, that lie you told. The lust that you've indulged in. The betrayal you've committed. The porn that you've looked at. The affair that you were a part of. The sloth that you've lived in. The anger that you've exploded in. That event that haunts you. And God is telling you today, brothers and sisters, that every bit of that can be transferred from your account onto Jesus. And you say, that's too good to be true. And that's why we call it the gospel. It's good news. It's really good news. Some of you maybe think, I'm damaged goods. Some of you in here may think, I've got this scarlet letter I've got to walk around with the rest of my life. i got this dirt on me that I can't wash off. But just as we sang this morning, through the death of Jesus, you can lose all your guilty stains. All your guilty stains. How? Because Jesus took them on Himself. That movie you don't want anybody to watch in your life played out on the hill of Calvary in the cross of Jesus Christ. He said, I'll take it all on me. You see, the big part of the cross is not just that Jesus suffered a horrendously physical, torturous death. It was because He went to hell for you. One pastor tells the story of a husband who had found out that his wife had been cheating on him. And he found out because the wife came and told him and she was repentant. She had... She had seen her sin for what it was. She had been awakened to the reality of the sin she had committed, not only against him, but against God. And she confessed her sins, but she thought, surely, surely this man will never have anything to do with me. But what he did in his response overwhelmed her and showed her and shows us today a picture of the gospel. Is instead of Kicking her out as an outcast, he went and bought her a white nightgown. And he said to her, I want you to know that I'm going to choose to look at you the way that God looks at me. And the way that God looks at you. Because what he has done through the cross is he has not only cleansed you from your sin... But He has given you a new record in Jesus. That goat is gone. It's been sent away. Hebrews 13 says that Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify or cleanse the people through His own blood. Psalm 103 10 through 12 says this, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love towards those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. This is the good news of the gospel. And this must define your life.
must define your life. Your story must center on the fact that there was a day when your sins were covered and your life was cleansed and nothing can be the same again. pastor by the name of Tim Keller tells a story from a movie called Three Seasons. And it's some fancy foreign movies, but I'll give you the the rundown here. It's the story about a cyclo driver and a cyclo, I think, is one of these things. It's like a bicycle that has a cart behind it. And he falls in love with a beautiful prostitute named Lon. And both have deep, unfilled desires. High is in love with Lon, but Lon lives in grinding poverty, this girl, and she hopes to to one day maybe be able to live in the beautiful world that she works. But in her business, she gets to come into this world, but never gets to spend the whole night in this world. She's used and mistreated. But she hopes that one day the money that she makes from her prostitution will buy her a way of escape. But instead of that, it just brutalizes her and enslaves her. That's what our sin does, doesn't it? It offers us freedom, and then it just uses us. Well, Hi, the guy in love with her, he enters this cyclo race and he wins the top prize. And with his money, guess what he does? He buys a knight with wine. And he pays the knight for the fee, but to her shock and everyone else's shock, the only thing he wants to do is just watch her fall asleep. So instead of using his power and wealth to abuse her and use her, he spends it to purchase her a night, one night in a normal world, to fulfill her desire to belong. Now, at first, she finds this act of grace very confusing and troubling and assumes he's trying, he's got an angle. <laughs> he just wants to control me in a different way. But when it becomes clear to her that he is using his power to serve her, she realizes what life could be once set free by such love. It begins to transform her and it makes it impossible for her to return to a life of prostitution. You see, when you understand what Jesus has done for you and how you could never do it for yourself, it doesn't make you say, well, I guess I'll just do whatever I want. No, it makes you say, I want to do whatever he wants. You see, when you experience the day where your sins are covered and cleansed, paid and put away, things can never be the same. Because the cross becomes more than just a day that is a duty to be filled on your calendar, a conversation you're obligated to talk about. It becomes the day that defines you and sets you free. And as we come to a time of prayer now, I just want you to be praying as we sing, is the cross the defining day of my life? Or am I still living as if that goat number two is going to show back up? Or that goat number one, it just wasn't fully covered? Will you live in the freedom of Christ? If you're here and you're an unbeliever and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, maybe you need somebody to talk to you about that. I'll be available after this service to do that. But let us now go to a time of prayer and ask that God would make this day the day that defines us. Father, we thank you so much.
for the blood of Jesus, for the death of Jesus that counts for us. We thank you, Father, for what he did. We thank you, God, that the cross is not just some sentimental artifact, but the cross is the place where hell was paid in our place. And God, I just pray right now that you would be at work by your Spirit to reveal to us where we need to claim these promises more strongly, where we need to transfer all our sin to Jesus for the first time. We ask this in Jesus' name.